Today's central text is from Philippians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudea and I entreat Sintish to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. I want to uh, just add one prayer request this morning. Um, We have fires, you know, especially out our way. And how are you guys doing? Are you in your house? You're out. Okay. Okay. So evacuated at 3:30 this morning. So let's. Pray for the Stipes, and there may be others, and I think there might be people from the congregation here that are uh, actually involved in fighting the fires, and so uh, that's pretty close to home for some of us. So let's pray for that and, and for the Word of God as well. Lord, you are our protector. Thank you for that. Uh, you're the one who sends, sends the weather, sends the rain, holds it back. Uh, We don't understand exactly why you do what you do, but we trust you. But we do ask for protection. We ask for people who have been uh, evacuated from their homes, like the Stipes and others. And um, we ask that you would be with uh, uh, those who are engaged in uh, what could be a dangerous work of fighting fires. Uh, But Lord, we thank you that our lives are in your hands and we trust you. Uh, Lord, now as we, we open up your word, wow, it's just so easy to be thinking about other things uh, and to be distracted. But Lord, thank you for our praise so far this morning that has drawn us toward you. Uh, Lord, we want to give our hearts to you. We want you to seal our hearts. Um, We want you to be our teacher this morning. Um, I'm not sure that, I mean, I've done my preparation. I'm not sure this is that great of a sermon, but Spirit of God, you are the teacher, and you know every single heart here. You know what everybody's going through, and you could take this word and you could apply it in a supernatural way to all these different situations. Would you do that? Would you make us aware that as we're reading these verses, that this is your word, a word that we desperately need. Build us up in the faith. Cause us to love you more. If there's people here who are kind of a stranger to this whole Christianity thing, Lord, would you help them to understand this morning what we're talking about? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, you know what this is, right? Yeah, this is a graph showing the defensive rankings of all of the NFL teams. Okay. How did each team perform, especially in the red zone? How was their goal line defense? Okay, the Baltimore Ravens right there 
have the best defense in the red zone with a 24% touchdown rate. Pretty good. So the if you don't, everybody's with me so far? Okay, good. If you don't happen to do football speak, uh, what this is saying is that the Ravens hold their ground at the goal line so that they can prevent the other team from scoring, and they do that better than anybody else, at least at this point in the NFL. And part of that may be because of three tackles that they have weighing 314, 327, and 355 pounds. That helps. But these guys, they know how to stand firm. And you don't stand firm alone. If you stand firm alone, you're going to get crushed. The defensive line stands firm together, digging in side by side, closing all the gaps. That's kind of what Paul is telling us to do in these verses this morning. Stand firm, but also stand firm together. So what's that look like? Well, that's what we're going to talk about until we get into this passage. But before, before we get into our verses for today, let's kind of get a running start by looking at a few of the verses from last week, if you remember this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. But we're not in heaven yet. The Lord has not returned yet. Our bodies have not been transformed yet. So now what? Chapter 4 then begins with the word therefore. I would like to change the word therefore to meanwhile. Now, no Bible translation that I have seen does that. So beware, but I like it. Okay. So Paul is dealing with how to live in the meanwhile. Since we're not in heaven yet, and the Lord has not returned yet, and our bodies have not been transformed yet, so meanwhile, as in meanwhile back at the ranch, meanwhile, while we're waiting for all of this to happen, meanwhile, live like this. And that's what chapter 4 is all about. Okay, we're looking at the first three verses, and let me summarize those first three verses. Now, I was, uh, was a speech coach for many years, te- many years teaching people how to, to, to write speeches and to deliver speeches. And one of my cardinal rules has always been, and it's based upon those speeches that just are, that go all over the place, you know, how important it is when you write your speech and you deliver your speech that it be focused, that it not go in a lot of different directions. And one of the key ways of doing that in your preparation is you need to capture your speech or in my case, sermon, you need to capture that all in one sentence. That makes it, that makes it tight. 
Now that sentence in the beginning may be long and clunky and convoluted, but it's a good exercise and you can always hone it down. So here is my one long convoluted sentence that tries to pull it all together, okay? Now get this, it's just important though. Meanwhile, live out your heavenly, name written down in the book of life, citizenship, and advance the gospel while waiting for his return by standing firm in this world and continue to invest in your beloved kingdom co-workers by guarding and nurturing your relationships with one another and working out your differences as you live in the Lord. Okay, get that? All right. That's the sermon in one sentence. Don't get up and leave. Now, that's the long version. Let me shorten it. Brothers and sisters, stand firm together in the Lord. Here's our outline. Brothers and sisters, stand firm together in the Lord. Got that? That's not too complicated. Okay, here we go. Point number one, brothers and sisters. Now, before we get to the main point, and the main point is to stand firm, before we get to that, it's important to remember to whom Paul is writing this letter, okay? He is writing, therefore, my brothers and sisters. Now, I add the word sisters here, um, as is footnoted in the ESV translation, which is what we typically use here, and I'll just tell you that the ESV, different translations, they have translation philosophies, okay? The ESV, uh, the English Standard Version's translation philosophy is to use the literal original word, okay? Which in this case is the word brother, but at the same time to acknowledge how that word is used to acknowledge that the word brother also includes the word sisters, okay? So to say brothers is right, to say brothers and sisters is right based upon how you decide to do your translation, and translation work is very hard. Anyway, got that? So now, not only is it important to remember to whom Paul is writing, but also to see Paul's relationship, Paul's heart to the church, his heart for the church. And that's important because it's also a model for us, for our heart toward one another. Now, look at the words that Paul uses to describe the church and his relationship to the church. He uses my brothers and sisters, the ones I love, the ones I long for, my joy, my crown. Last Sunday, I saw some of you taking pictures during the service because there were your joy and crown. Some of you were doing that, right? 
My joy and my crown, Paul says, my beloved. Later in verse 3, he says, my fellow workers and those whose names are written in the book of life. Now, those are some pretty tender and intimate terms for those annoying families that are in the church of Philippi. Those are for some pretty intimate and tender terms for those difficult families, for those loud families in the church, for those always coming to church late, for those bickering families in the church, annoying, loud, always late, bickering, even sinners, yes. And yet Paul uses these terms because he has a relationship with them and because he is invested in them. This is not something that he's just, he's not just using these words and making these things up even though it's not there. He has created that relationship by investing in those people. So understanding right up front, understanding that this this brother-sister investment, it's really important in understanding what Paul's talking about in these verses, and we're going to come back to this. So point number one, brothers and sisters, point number two, stand firm. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Okay, got that? You guys, stand firm. Just stand firm. That's the message. Go do it. I mean, yeah. I mean, we tell people to stand firm all the time. This is just, this is language that we use, inspirational language that's just used in business and in education and in, in politics and in finance and sports. And it's just like, okay, guys, stand firm. Well, what does it mean here? Now, now, obviously, to mean, in any case, to stand firm, it suggests to stand firm that there is a, a threat that you are going to be moved from your position, right? So that's what it is. You stand firm because if you're not, something's going to happen to you. You are going to slip you're going to lose ground. So Paul has told us this a couple of times already in this letter. He has already mentioned to stand firm. So let's just do a little quick review of that and what he has meant. The immediate context is from last week, those previous verses. And Paul, in saying stand firm, what he's saying is don't be subtly influenced by the enemies of the cross. Remember that expression from last week? Those don't be subtly influenced by those whose glory is their shame, those who live according to earthly things. In other words, don't take on the ways and the lifestyle and the attitude and the heart habits of those who live as if there is no salvation, as if there's no new kingdom, as if there's no heaven and eternity 
and God in forgiveness. Don't live as those who live a different way. In chapter 2, then, he warned in similar fashion, if you remember this terminology, about being careful that you're not sucked into the crooked and twisted generation. Remember those terms? Again, don't get sucked into a world that is living without hope, but rather hold fast to the word of life, he writes in chapter 2, verse 16. Then, chapter 3, we again are told to stand firm. This time, stand firm against the evil of self-righteousness. Right? Boy, all the time we hear of Christians, professing Christians anyway, who are angry and smug and self-righteous in their demands for, for a surface morality from other people. What's the matter with these people? Why don't, why don't they live the way I live? Why don't they know to live the way I, I know how to live? Why don't they live according to my standards? And there can be an anger and a, and a smugness and, a, and an arrogance of people should live like I live. Stand firm in Christ against that self-righteousness that that just creeps into our hearts. And it does, doesn't it? I mean, again and again. I mean, Chris and I are, are, are catching ourselves all the time when it comes to this. That we're, you know, we're out and around or doing something or seeing it. And we go, oh, look, look at that guy. Can you, can you believe that guy? Can you, can you believe what he's doing? What, what, why is he? And then we go, we're so much better than him. Right? I mean, isn't it easy to do that? I mean, you look at people and you go, why don't, why, don't they clean up, why don't they clean up their yard? Why don't they this or that? You know, it's just like, and then it's like, because I'm so much better than them, right? That self-righteousness that just slips in. So these are kind of the external threats that we have to stand firm and we have to guard against. But there is also the very real subtle, internal threats that are right in the church, right in the middle of the brothers and sisters in the church. Now, Paul has warned about this before also, but now when he warns, it gets very personal. He gets right into the nitty-gritty of, of a real-life church problem, church difficult situation, and he even uses names, Yodia and Syntyche, right? So, brothers and sisters, stand firm together. And he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names 
are in the book of life. Standing firm by yourself is too hard to do. The standing firm has to be together. There has to be a mutual strengthening. Side by side, no gaps in the line. And that was the problem then in the church at Philippi, was that there was this breach in their togethering. And you see, we're so often in, in the week, we spend so much of our time out there in the, in the world, in the office, and in the classroom, uh, on the soccer field, family gatherings, whatever, online, in front of a screen, all of those things, all those things that influence us. And, and we, we, we have and we're involved in and we listen to those, the conversations that take place and the tone and the attitude and, and, and the values that are projected as we talk with different people and interact with different people. And, and often you feel yourself pulled away from Christ and pulled away from his kingdom and you kind of get sucked into that way of thinking, and we need the mutual strengthening of the brothers and sisters. We need that togethering. So what happened in Philippi? What was the issue between these two women? I mean, we know from these verses that these were good women. These were faithful women. They were gospel women. They were serving side-by-side women. And take note, this is important. These women played a very prominent role in the founding and in the development of the church. We need to remember that. They were important people in the church, key players, maybe even went beyond the BCO. I shouldn't have said that. Can we edit that? edit that out? Edit that out. I don't get in trouble. Important women, right? So, so what was the issue between these two? Was it a theological problem? Was it a minor problem? Was it a diff- disagreement over election or election and Arminianism and versus Calvinism and Was it a disagreement over homeschooling versus public schooling? Baptist versus infant baptism? Color of the carpet in the sanctuary? Was it just poor communication? Was it just a misunderstanding? Did somebody get left out? Did somebody get neglected? Well, what was it? We don't know. So that's not the point, is it? Any problem, big problem, small problem, can cause a heart breach. Any disagreement can create a small divide that can become a bigger divide and, a, and, and spread out through the church even to the point that sides start to form so that the issue, whatever it is, becomes the focus And the mission gets distracted, and the ministry gets 
kind of stalled out. So in this case, who's right and who's wrong? I mean, in a lot of dis- disagreements that we have, a lot of times they're, you know, both are right and both are wrong, but sometimes one person is really wrong and the other person is more right. So what about this case? Well, we don't know. Again, that's not the point. Paul doesn't take a side. He equally entreats them both. The language is very specific there. We don't know about the specifics, but we know that Paul steps in and says, you can't just let this go. This is something that needs to be dealt with. You can't just ignore it. You can't pretend it's not there. You can't bury it. And yet so often, isn't that what we do? We ignore it. And we don't work on it. Why? Well, you you know why. But I'm going to give you three reasons anyway. Three reasons why when we have conflict, we just... We just don't want to deal with it. We just don't want to work on it. All right? Reason number one is everybody can get this. It's uncomfortable, right? And it is awkward. And I am a non-conflict person. Okay? So I am speaking to myself here. I don't want to stir things up. I just want peace. I I hope it just all works out in time. I just want to kind of Avoid things, okay? It's uncomfortable. Number two, and what, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, they're not going to listen. I mean, I've kind of, I've kind of tried before. She's, she's so stubborn. He, he's got a blind spot. He's immature. It's just. Not worth the hard work because it's just not going to go anywhere anyway. Sound familiar? Ring a bell with us? I think so. Number three, I have other priorities. I mean, you know, relationships are just hard anyway, aren't they? So, yeah, you can't, it's the way it is. And you know, I got other things to do. I got a lot of stuff. I'm busy. Plus, I need to protect myself. I need to draw lines. Plus, I I think that person might be toxic. That's the new magic word to get you out of dealing with people and dealing with things, they're toxic. Uh, maybe I'm a little harsh there. But anyway, be careful. But Paul's point is that we must work on it. In fact, he even says, okay, let's bring in a third party to kind of help somebody else to kind of help you walk through it. Because sometimes it's not easy. There's misunderstanding. So bring in another person here. And so that's what, that's what he says to do. And yet Paul would agree with these previous three points, wouldn't he? He'd say, well, yes, there are other priorities. And yes, you know what? It may not go anywhere. And yes, it really is awkward and uncomfortable. 
but we must work on it because it is so important and it is so worth it when you do. So, three reasons why we must work on it. Reason number one, Jesus got uncomfortable. He got uncomfortable to win you. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, yet sinners, he died for us. While we were still difficult and annoying and rebellious and self-centered and disagreeable and toxic people, he died for us. His commitment to us was so solid that he entered into the discomfort of even crucifixion. He took that on to bring about the resolution. Jesus' promise to us was, yeah, you have your issues, you have your sins, but my love and my loyalty loyalty to you is so great that I will come alongside you, I will forgive your sins, and I will work through those issues with me because of my blood commitment to you. In fact, he said, in fact, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never be the one who goes, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna avoid that. Hope it works out for you guys. No. Jesus promises that we are in this together all the way. What if we had a commitment like that to one another? Huh? Reason number two why we must work on it. Because we are members of one another. Yes, as we sit here, you all have your own individual chair. Very nice. We're separate. We're individuals in the room. But we are not autonomous. If you are a member of this church, you're not autonomous. We make that clear when you join in membership. We are one body united in Christ, and Christ as the one who has joined us together. What if I saw you, not just as that, that lady over there? You know that lady over there? What if I saw you as someone whose name was written down right next to mine in the book of life. What if I saw you that way? And what if you saw me in this church, not just as some old guy, but what if you saw me as a fellow worker, side by side, together, doing the most important work in the world? What if you saw me that way? And what if we were so invested in one another that when one hurts, the other would feel it? Or when you saw me do something good, gain some success, be faithful, make some kind of progress, when you saw that in me, you would go, that's my... 
that's my joy. That's my crown. Look how good he's doing. What if that, huh? If we look at each other that way, as, as members of one another, then would that make a difference in how we handled our disagreements? If we looked at each other that way, we would step into the uncomfort zone. We would not take the easy way out. We would adjust our priorities and make this a priority. The third reason why we must work on it is because it's what the church is about. The church is about Get ready for this. The church is about something greater than me. The church is about something greater than my comfort and my preferences and my priorities and my way of doing things. The church is about the kingdom. It's about kingdom work. It's about gospel labor. It's about doing what God has called us to do. Now, i got to stop here. And put a little caution on here. The work of the kingdom is important, but that work does not just run over people in the ministry. Okay? You don't just run over people. There's one famous pastor, I'm sure many of you have heard about him, who was so focused on building the church that he demanded either get on the bus or get run over by the bus. Really? No. The people are the ministry. Kingdom work includes building kingdom people. And that can be slow and inefficient. Okay? But it is side by side together work. That's how it's to be done. And that process is important as well. Okay, with me so far? Here we are. Brothers and sisters, stand firm together in the Lord. We must work on our disagreements and our difficult relationships and oftentimes our sharp, our sharp differences Because that's what the church is about. The church is about reconciliation. The Lord is about reconciliation. And and we are living in this, as Christians, we're living in an in the Lord place. That's our environment. We operate our lives in the Lord. The the church operates in, in the middle of this world by being an in-the-Lord people and an in-the-Lord presence in the world, an in-the-Lord salt and light. And our in-the-Lord family prepares ourselves for that service through renewal and repentance and putting off our sins together and building one another up together and guarding one another and nurturing one another and standing firm together. Paul's message in chapter 4 is to stand 
But if we go back, remember a couple of weeks ago to chapter 3, the message was not to stand, but it was to run. So I want to go back and pick up that running imagery for a second. Why do we do the hard work of trying to resolve our issues? Why do we do that? Because we are running the race and pressing toward the goal together. That's why. And we want to help one another. We want all of us to get to the finish. And as we're running, sometimes we're going to step on one another's toes, and sometimes our legs are going to get tangled up if we're, as we're running. If you've ever been in a race and it's been tight, you've done that sometimes, and there's some stumbling. But what you don't do is when someone stumbles, you just go, oh, tough for them, you know? No, you're there together. You don't leave the stumbler behind. You slow up in a little maybe more inefficient way. And as brothers and sisters and as fellow workers, and if you remember from a couple weeks ago, God's call to us, he puts us on the track, God's call together with us, the Spirit's breath in us as we're running together, and Jesus at the finish line calling us to himself together to run we run together and kind of a mixed metaphor we run together and we stand firm together in the lord all the way to the end now in an audience this size there are a variety there got to be a variety of responses of what, of what you're thinking about right now you know what's going through your head and what, what do i do about this and and it'd be just interesting to know what those different responses are. So this is name tag, Sun- name tag Sunday, sorry. This is name tag Sunday. Wouldn't it be interesting if our name tag, right now if you had a name tag that reflected your response to these verses, huh? so that I could see, you know, oh, what you're thinking. What you're thinking. What are you thinking about these verses? What are you going to do about these verses? Huh? Oh, okay. Um, our fears or our intentions or our desires or our call for help. What, wouldn't it be interesting? What would, what would we write? Well, maybe something like this. Uh, this is good, but it's got a lot going on. Nice sermon. I hope it works out for some people. This sounds scary, intimidating, but I'd like to try. If there is a church who actually does this, wow, count me in. Wouldn't it be something if a church did this? I'm just a spectator here. Only ask me about sports or the weather. You have permission to speak into my life. Whoa. Into the tough areas. Into the areas that most people won't speak into. I don't want conflict, but I want to do the hard thing of loving others. Yeah, I don't want to get involved in your issues. I got my own issues. 
I want to invest in you. But I'm not very good at it. This, this could be mine. I, put, I would put this on mine. I don't want to invest in you, but you know, I'm kinda, it's so easy for me to be taken up with myself. I'm good at investing myself, but I really want to invest in you. I want to, be, I want to do better at that. So, there, you know, I don't know. There's a few. What would you write? I want you to think about that. What would you write right now at the end of this sermon, at the end of these verses, what would you write? Be honest. And bring that response to the Lord. And here's one more. Let's pray. Lord, wow, what do we do with these words? I mean, maybe it doesn't apply to us at all because we don't have any conflicts right now. That's great. Maybe we just filed it away for another day, but well, there's more, Lord. I, th- I think your word is calling us to get into the nitty-gritty hard work of caring and investing and pouring ourselves out for others like you did, Jesus. Help us to believe the words of that old hymn writer who wrote, I'll strengthen you help you and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. Oh, Lord, we need you. Lord, give us true belief and true repentance and embrace us in your arms. Amen.